Today's first reading is on page 141 of the Pew Bibles. We will read Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Today's sermon reading is on page 1135 of your Bible, and we will read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him? Graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank each one of you for <clears throat> making the effort to come today. It's always a joy to be able to be here together. And uh, many greetings to those of you who may be joining us on Zoom. We welcome you as well, and at the same time, look forward to the day when we will get to know you each individually as you're able to come and join with us in a service like we're having today. The reading this morning is the last, <clears throat> excuse me, the last paragraph of the book of Romans, chapter 8. And as we've said through this sermon series on Romans, chapter 8, this is probably one of the most meaningful, helpful, and yet at the same time exceedingly challenging chapters in the Bible. And what we will find today is that it, as Paul summarizes in his last paragraph, verses 31 to 39, he's going to take us immediately back to the foundation upon which it all stands, and that is going to be what we understand, what we think about our concept and our experience with and of God. And so we're going to look at that because as it was read to us, just as it begins here, it's quite an amazing statement, isn't it? As he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? 
So as he's starting off, he's bringing that concept to us. He says, well, what do I do? What do I say that has not already been said? And he's going to bring it together in somewhat of a summary. And it's a summary, amazing, true statement about God, a truth statement about God. That is not just a statement, it includes a question. It's not a rhetorical question, one that makes a point. It does do that rather than asking for an answer. But part of making the point is he is going to ask us to answer this question. And he says, as he begins, he says, well, what more can I say about these things? And of course, those things are the the things that we have looked at in chapter 8 from verses 1 right through 30. Now, here's where a preacher really likes a two-hour sermon. And you can repeat all the great points you missed in the first four sermons. I don't know how you repeat what you missed, but you know what I mean. Uh, And, of course, our first missionary years, I, I loved it because we would be sitting in a meeting in a large church in part of the eastern part of Europe, and they would be preaching in some churches There was no seminary, no Bible school. So the way the pastors would learn to preach is you started by giving a short sermon. And then after you got a few years, you gave a middle-sized sermon. And then the real pastor gave the sermon. And so I was sitting through one of those long services. And just before the pastor end did his sermon, the brother next to me leaned over and said, Brother, could you just go up and continue on this theme for about 30 minutes? And so, I would love to do that today, but we cannot. But let me just remind you of this. Remember in chapter 8, verse 1, he began that first thing, and what he's going to say is, what do I say about this? The first thing he said, now, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This idea that when we come to God, he moves us from the law of death or the flesh, and he brings us into the law of the spirit, the law of life. He moves us from death to life. There's no more condemnation. And then in the second one, as we looked at that work, he talks about the idea of his spirit dwelling in us as a sign, as a confirmation that God has done an eternal work in our lives. And remember, that's the verse where it says, as God's spirit is entering into us, the way we respond is from the depth of our heart and soul. We cry out, Abba, Father. We acknowledge his fathership or his leading and that we are part of his family. He is our father. And as Paul also writes in Galatians, almost a similar set of verses where there he talks not about our heart crying out, Father, Abba, Father, back to him, but about the Spirit as he enters crying out, Abba, Father. We thought together about that idea that how God claims us and how we, we embrace God. And then in the third sermon, we talked about this idea that there is this groaning in creation. And the groaning is the waiting for the revelation or the revealing of the children of God. This idea that earth is not all there is. There is a coming eternity. 
Remember as Jesus prays at the end of the first paragraph of his priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says, Oh, Father, I have come and I have done that for which you have sent me to do. And then he talks about his glory. And then he prays out, Oh, Father, that you might restore me to the glory I had with you before creation. And then he adds, And may these share with me in that glory. And here Paul says, and there is coming a revealing of the glory for those who are sons and daughters of God. Wow. And then fourth, which I really like, I don't know if you liked or not, but I did, the other groaning. That we talked about how that when our weaknesses, the Spirit himself prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We talked about that idea that when words are no longer enough, God still has manners and ways in which he communicates. There it talks about the God who knows the hearts of men, also knows the mind of the spirit. And that idea of this groaning, this God, the spirit saying, oh! and I can imagine all of eternity listening. And God understanding, and then that word which we looked at, He says he intercedes with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The meaning of the word intercede is to to bring into line with, of course, he's interceding for us that we would do the will of God in our life, but also that stem of it, the end meaning to intensify, and then the stem meaning to not only bring into line with, but bring into line with the will of God by hitting the mark. Remember last week we talked about how the Spirit prays for you, Hit the mark. And then Paul says in all of these things, what do I say about that? And then he asks this statement or this question, which is here as we begin reading that, what shall I say about that? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And the question which he introduces that statement about God is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if you missed everything else this morning, I want you to grapple with that question. If God is for you, who can be against you? You see, it automatically, immediately asks us to answer the question that is contained within the statement. And the question is, what do you believe about God? Do you believe this morning that God is for us? It's an incredible thing, isn't it? What we believe about God. Let me just tell you, grandparents and parents. We can talk to our grandchildren. We can talk to our children. Or if you're not blessed in that state as of yet, to our friends or those who know us. But what we say with our words communicate a bit, but what we believe about God not only comes out in words, it comes out in the very way we live our lives. The attitudes which we have and how we respond to him. And that way we live our life is a window into our soul and our heart. It reveals what is really there. I'd just like to read for you this morning, um, which you can read this afternoon as you have time It is about a two cup of coffee. Read if you're a fast coffee devourer. 
The book of Daniel, chapter 6, we talked about his three friends a couple weeks ago, but let's talk about Daniel in the lion's den. Remember that whole concept where Daniel, because of his prayer, and the people found that they didn't like Daniel because the hand of God was upon Daniel, and he was a better administrator, he was a better leader, he was a God's man in that kingdom. And those who were competitors to him or had other positions, they looked at him and said, well, how can we get him out that we can have his position? And of course, what happened is they said, well, they looked at his life, but he was honest and he was fair and he was just and he was loyal. And there was nothing that they could critique him on, only that he worshiped the God in heaven, the God of the Bible. And so they had the king write a special law that was valid for 30 days only, that if anyone, they came into the king and they kind of just complimented him to the point where he wrote what could be called a a difficult law. But anyway, they said, Lord, king, you are so great. Why don't you make a law that if anyone prays or asks a request of anyone but you for 30 days, they're into the lion's den. And of course, Daniel was such a man, he continued to pray three times a day. They brought him before the king. And you remember the account. The king then said, oh, Daniel, let me just read what the king says. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And then it shows the wisdom of the king. He brought a stone and he covered over the mouth of the den of lions. He no longer knew that he now knew that the lions were not the problem. The people he was working with were the problem. And so he puts a stone over to protect them from the people. This is an amazing truth, you see. Daniel, all of a sudden, has to demonstrate who is his God. And of course, the king, it says, doesn't sleep. He stays up. He fasts. He does all of these things. And then after that, it comes at the break of day. It says the king arose and he went fast to the den of lions. And he came near the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? If God is for us. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Daniel, you who serve the living God, has he been able to be living for you? And Daniel responds, Yes, my God has done this. And so the question that Paul writes to us, if God is for us, Who can be against us? This statement of truth of God. And yet in the question form, it makes us ask our own souls and heart, the God we believe in, the God we trust in. How does that work? And why that's important, let me read to you another just portion where Jesus is speaking with a man. And it's called a a young rich ruler. And look what he says. And the ruler said to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Because the only one who is good is God alone. If he is for us, 
who can be against us. It immediately asks us the question that was asked by Jesus to this man, who is good? God alone. And before we go any further, this concept of God that we have in our heart and soul, which comes by our study, by our reading, by our understanding, but it's more than just a cognitive understanding. It is that experience of God within our heart and the depth of our person. And then he goes and he says to him, have you kept the commandments? And this man says, I've kept every one of them since I was young. In our day and age, he was probably raised in a believing family. He would have gone to uh, fellowship and church and study and Sunday school and whatever else. And then he says, look, look at it says, it says, all these things I've kept. And Jesus heard this. He said to him, this is the moment when God, God in the person of Jesus Christ looks into the heart of the man. And he says, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Invest it into eternity and come and follow me. Why this is important and why we bring it into this, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, when God becomes that real, like a Daniel who understood his God was able and he was ready. And if it comes to this man here, it says to him, oh my he says, there are things one needs to do because when we believe that we serve the God of the Bible, that he's alive, he is real, he's put into our hearts forgiveness and eternal life and God in, in us and we in God experiencing the very eternal life of God that is our eternal life, that relationship changes us and becomes a priority of our lives. This story, of course, ends with sadness because the young man says, he had a lot. And he left. And then the disciples, as Jesus says, how difficult it is for a person like that to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples said to him, well, is it even impossible? And they use this phrase and they say, yes, it's like the camel going through the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle is actually a gate in the city wall. And it's a limited size gate. And for a camel to pass, they had to come, kneel down, take off all the pack and the burden that was upon them. And then they could negotiate that thing. But they could not negotiate that entry without taking off everything that, would, that they were carrying. Same as he said to this man, take this and then come and follow. You see, our concept of God determines than how we are understanding the rest of these verses. And so, you see, here he says to him, if God is for us, who can be against us? And look at this, this thing that he shares with us, this next statement, verse 32, of who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also graciously give us all things with him? He comes and he says, now, if you're wondering, if we question this morning, is God for us? Is God good? Does his intent and plan? Then we look and see what God has done. You see, the love of God is not just simply a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yes, there is this sense where we can experience God, and that's a real experience. And yet, the love of God is an action. He did not hold back his son Jesus. But he sent him for us. 
That as we've studied in 1 John, he would be the propitiation for my sin and the sin of the whole world. Taking my sin, my guilt, and placing it on the Son. And then he goes on and he begins to ask then these questions. For those of you who are looking for a pattern or a structure to follow in in chapter 8, in these next verses, the word who repeats itself numerous times. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And that who will make us compare. Who's going to bring a charge? And then look what he says. It is God who justifies. So if someone is coming and bringing an accusation saying, that what you believe is not true. That could not have happened in you. He says, no, no, no. Then we must look back at the very authority of God himself. You see, the word he says justified, literally that means that God, the judge, has declared that we are no longer guilty because our guilt has moved from us and been placed on God the Son. Remember how it says in Colossians chapter 2 that the Father nailed, literally hammered to the cross, all that stood between you and me and him. And he placed it on the Son, that transference there. And then he says in this verse here, who can do that? Because God has justified. To justify is a word coming out of the courtroom. It means a decree by the judge. And when the judge in this case is the creator, the very almighty God, the final judgment is his and he has declared you no longer guilty. What Paul is saying, oh, who is going to say something different? And if you today, as you go home, you start to wonder, has God really? Did God really move me from here to here? Remember what Paul has written. If we have been justified, It has been by God himself. And then he goes on, he says, and who is to condemn? Who is to to judge men and come condemn us and say that is absolutely wrong? You're headed towards the pit. Because then he says, Jesus Christ is the one who died. Look at that again. This one who condemns. And the defense of that is Jesus Christ who died. And And then not only that, he says, but even more, who rose from the dead. You see that death on the cross, took all that would condemn us and placed it on him. But to signify and to show us with full assurance that God had accepted that gift, he rose from the dead. And then it says not only that, but he who is dead, and then he rose from the dead, and he then who is at the right hand of the Father. That is taken up and described in John as he has the revelation, and he writes down in chapter 5, and in chapter 4, he describes the very throne of the living God, Father. And in chapter 5, he describes that one who's noted here as standing at the right hand. In that chapter, he's called the Lamb of God, the one who's given himself for us. We will celebrate that in just a moment. But in chapter 5, it's an incredible thing as they identify Jesus, the Lamb of God. 
And then you have these four living beings who are around the throne and they shout out, holy, holy, holy. And when the son, the one who has been killed or sacrificed for us comes and he is there, they shout out, worthy, 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 because you were slain. He died. Now he's alive. He's at the right hand. And then not only these four shout that out, but then it says in the 24 elders who are on thrones surrounding the great throne of God, they take up that same statement and say, worthy, 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 because you were slain. He tasted death for all of us. He died. He rose. He's at the right hand. And as that finishes, then all of a sudden the whole chorus of angels begin to take up the same chorus where they say, worthy, 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 because you were slain. Tasted death for all of us. He was dead. He's alive. He's risen. Now he's at the right hand. And then after that, it says, and all of creation takes up that same chant, that same worship. You were worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy because you were slain. He was dead. He's alive. He's at the right hand. And then it says that word we studied last week. And he is making intercession for you and me. Can you imagine that? God, the spirit saying, hit the mark. The will of God. Hit the mark. And now here we have the very son of God who died, rose, standing at the right hand. Hit the mark. The Trinity is so in love with us. That they're praying and interceding for us. And then he goes on in these next few verses. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? And he lists off several things. So first is, who is going to challenge the very power of God? That God has declared that we are forgiven and that we are no longer guilty. Who is going to question the very work of God on the cross and the resurrection no one no one has that authority and then he says and who will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus in verses 35 right through to 39 he asks that question and he gives the answer and of course the answer is no one But he, you see, this is not a series of verses which trusts that once we come to God, it's going to be easy and without problem. Look what he says. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Actually, in reality, sometimes as we stand for Christ, particularly in 2022, it will mean we may face some of the very same questions that the man in Luke chapter 18 did. Do we believe that God is for us? And that God is good? I remember talking to one of my friends in our early mission days. He was a youth leader in a country which didn't approve Christianity. And I think at that time I got to know him. He was his fourth jail term of two years. He had one more after that. And his country changed. And I remember him telling me I was in prison. And they sent me to the prison hospital. He said prison was bad, but the hospital was even more difficult. And then he said, I found the fellow next, in the next bed 
I couldn't communicate so well, and then we found a language we could use. And it turned out he, from his country, had come, and he was there in prison, and he was in a country who had absolutely no believer in Jesus at all. And as they laid in bed, one bed here, one bed there, they began to talk about the truth of God. And at the end of those two weeks in the bed, in the hospital, this man who had never heard Christ about Christ accepted God as his personal Savior. And his only request was, when we get out of here, would you go with me back to my home? And he did. And he said he came into the place and he began to explain to the parents and the others of the family what had happened in this man's life. And he said, because this man's father was one of the most famous poets in his whole culture. They said, good. And what my friend was telling me, I went through that which I thought was tribulation. It was persecution. It was difficult. But then in the middle of this, I found God's purpose. Because he goes on and he quotes Psalm 44 verse 22. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. That's a really encouraging verse, isn't it? (laughs) But it's true, isn't it? What he's saying here is when we follow Christ, those who are not followers, those who are being controlled by evil or whatever in the world, this is, he said, what we need to do is we need to realize that our lives are not the end, but we are part of the family of God that continues. And then we will not think it's so strange what comes about. Or he says, we are regarded as sheep. Some people think we're just those who push here, you push there. But you see, they're God's people. But then he says, now that's the truth of life. And I don't know how many of you here today who've ever had pain. I can remember sitting in my car in Vienna after a family tragedy and just tears coming down my face And just shouting out to God, God, why? And I had to discover what Paul has discovered. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, of God that we have in Christ. And we go through this as he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow. And this idea of conqueror, there are pages and pages of commentary written on these words. And what it means, it's not just a victory, it's beyond. And he says very simply, I'm sure that neither death nor life. The fear of dying or the moment of death. Or if our life, something within it keeps us from believing that If he is for us, who can be against us? He goes on, nor angels or rulers. Nothing in the spiritual world can hold us back. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and the love of God in Christ. And then he goes on, things present or things to come. There's nothing in the time frame of the past nor of the future that can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that great? 
If you're seated here this day and you have something in your past that the only way you've dealt with it is you've put it into a closet in the inner side of your life and you've shut the door and you're just paying a no trespassing sign, nobody talks to you about it, you just ignore it and you leave it. I am certain that at some point in your following of Christ, the Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to knock on that door and he is going to ask for entry because he wants to bring healing. And he wants to bring a work of God. And he says, there is nothing in the past and there is nothing in the future that can separate us from the love of God. And then finally he said, there's nothing high. There's nothing low. He has placed him above all other names. And finally he says, there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every word he writes is are important. Each word is important. In Christ Jesus our Lord. The assumption in understanding these verses is, is that Christ Jesus is our Lord. And he says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to celebrate communion. But before I do that, let me just ask you this question. Are you confident? Are you sure like Paul that nothing is separating you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? As you do a millisecond inspection of your soul and heart, because that's what he asks before we come. First Corinthians chapter 11 says, And before you eat, or said, if you realize before you come to the communion table that you have something against someone or there's something not right between you and God, he said, he's not saying go away or stay away. Rather, he is saying, put it right, then come. This is a moment. If there are those things that if he is for us and you really question, is he? Bring those to God. If there are things in life that have pulled you away, Bring those to God. If there are things that are high or deep or time, bring those to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that there is nothing. There is no one. There is no power. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. Because you, O oh God, are love. And we think as we read and studied together 1 John, where it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, My little children, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Lord, help us to understand that truth this morning. And we believe it is true and we worship you that if you are for us, then nothing, all of these things which are listed, cannot be against us. Yes, it doesn't mean that life is not messy. It doesn't mean that life isn't difficult. But it does mean that you, almighty God, are there with us in and through all of it. And Lord, just like Daniel, we need to know that you are here. So we worship you. We thank you. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name.